Thank you, Dave. Good morning, y'all. How you doing? I know I'm wearing a tie. I've heard it. Yeah. <laughs> the reason I do that is I don't want to. I don't want to be too predictable. You know. I don't want to be too. You know. I, last week I had my knife on here. You know. I try and throw people off a little bit. Keep you guessing. So uh, who knows what I'll have on here? Maybe I'll. I don't know. Who knows what I'll do? But uh, this week I wanted to start with uh, something. Uh, one of the children in our church, in our kids' church. Um, it happens to be my, my grandson. Uh, he said, Poppy, he said, I wrote a prayer for church. And I said, really? It was Knox. And, and he says, yeah. He says, he says, could you use it for church? I said, well, let me, let me see it. And uh, so this is a picture of it on the, on the back of the book. But I wrote it on this so it's easier to read. So uh, before we start, I'd like to have Knox open us in prayer. I'll read Knox's prayer. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for bringing us together at church to praise you. Please bless us all here this morning, for you created us. Surround us with your angels, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So that's, yeah, it was good. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, welcome back. I love, I love my, my grandkids. You know, the whole grandkid thing is really a new kind of thing. For Sandy and I, are, we're loving it, right, honey? Yeah, they're great. They're great. Um, well, welcome back to our continuing series on the Gospel of Luke. It's the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Um, you'll be happy to know that this week is full of happy. Um, this week is full of rejoicing, uh, some really happy stuff. Um, last week was pretty intense, but uh, chapter 15 is made up of three different parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the coin, and the parable of the lost son. And they all have a happy ending. Okay? Spoiler alert. Okay? The sheep is found. The coin is found. And the son is found. And in every case, there's great rejoicing. Okay? A big party even at the end of the third parable. Um, last week, like I said, was kind of intense. It was very diverse and very instructive. It started off with Jesus once again healing someone on the Sabbath. And as you know, the scribes and the Pharisees, that's a no-no, right? But to their credit, it says they kept silent when Jesus asked them this question. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful? And uh, they just kept silent, to their credit. And he said to them, which one of you, if your child or an ox fell into the well, okay, on the Sabbath, right, would not immediately rescue them? He said, this healing is like that. Boom, drop the mic. That's Jesus. Then Jesus did a series of parabolic lessons teaching us not to seek the place of honor above other people, but instead to, to take a posture of humility, true humility, not just assuming that we're more important than everyone, but, but being humble. He also taught us that when we do things for others, we should do it not expecting anything in return. Right? He said, don't do things because you want something. He said, do stuff for people that can't pay you back. Do stuff for people that can't pay you back, even if they wanted to. Chapter 14 wraps up with a very important topic of discipleship. Count the cost of discipleship before you follow Jesus. What it's going to cost you to follow Jesus. And Jesus makes it um, more than clear um, that when it comes to following him, he needs to be top priority. He needs to be our primary focus. Either when, as Christians, either we're all in or we're not in at all. Either he is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. 
Either Jesus is first in our lives or he's something else, right? He's second or third or fourth or whatever. So super important stuff. Count the cost, make the choice, follow Jesus. And then he ends this section with a very provocative statement. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, in other words, if you can understand what I'm saying, take it in and live it. Live it. Live it. That was chapter 14. Well, this week uh, is different, okay? In chapter 15, there's a lot of lost and found, a lot of rejoicing, uh, a lot of joy, 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 joy down in my heart. A lot of joy, a lot of joy this week. Um, Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 15 sets up the next three parables, okay, which is chapter 15. And this is what it says. It sets it up. It says, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him, and him is Jesus, coming near Jesus to listen to him. Verse 2, both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. In other words, Jesus is hanging out with sinners. It reminds me of something that my grandmother used to say. I don't know if you all have ever heard this saying. It says, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or run with those who do. You ever heard that? Of course, my grandmother also said, John B., if you ever start smoking, I'll kill you. (laughs) And I never did. So I believed her. I believed her. Everybody in my family smoked. So Lala had a way of being very convincing. That's true. But here's the point of those first two verses is that according to the scribes and the Pharisees, okay, good religious folks should not hang around with non-religious sinful folks. That's their mindset. Uh, In the words of a poem by Rudyard Kipling, never the twain shall meet. Never the twain shall meet. The scribes and the Pharisees see Jesus as part of the upper echelon of the religious class. I mean, he's a rabbi. He's a teacher of the law and the prophets and the writings. So they are basically telling him, Jesus, you're one of the good guys. What are you doing hanging out with the bad guys? You're one of the good guys. Never the twain shall meet. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or run with those who do, Jesus. That's what the scribes and the Pharisees are saying about him and to him. Those two verses set up the next three parables, which are all about lost, okay, and being found. The lost being found. The sheep, the coin, and the son. In these parables, we will learn that Jesus is all about seeking and saving that which is lost. In Luke chapter 19, which will be two in a a few weeks, okay? Verse 10, after an interaction with Zacchaeus, who was what? He was a tax collector, right? You know the story. Jesus said, the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. He's all about it. So Jesus is saying, this is one of the main reasons that I came, to seek and to save that which was lost. So in verse 3, after he said, um, after they said, this man receives sinners and eats with them, it says he told them a parable. Actually, he told them three parables. But here's the first one. Verses 7, 4 through 7. Listen as I read. It says, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has, and, lost, and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he what? Finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together all of his friends and neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you 
that in the same way, and this is Jesus kind of backing out of the, out of the parable and commentating, I tell you, that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner, one sinner, one sinner, who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need repentance. Would you pray with me? Lord God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight today, Lord. Um, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us and give us courage to live it. Help us live it. In your name, Jesus, and all God's people said, thank you. Did you hear what Jesus is saying in verse 4? He's saying this, pretty simple, lost people matter to God. Lost people have value. God loves sinners, not just righteous people. He doesn't just love us. He loves unrighteous people, sinful people. God loves lost people. And here's the other side. He wants us to love them too. He wants us to care about them too. He said to the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, which one of you, if you were a shepherd, right, would not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one that is lost until you find him? And so why would Jesus say that? Because that's what he's doing. That's why he's spending time with the tax collectors. That's why he's spending time with us. That's why he's hanging out with them. He says, in other words, they're worth it. They're worth the risk of leaving the 99 to find the one. Lost sheep. Because the lost sheep is in danger. The lost sheep is in peril and could perish. The lost sheep has strayed from the shepherd into some dangerous territory. He strayed away from the protection and the guidance of the shepherd. He's lost. He's lost. Last week when I was reading, John preached last week, did a great job by the way. But last week I was reading over what I was going to preach on this week in Luke 15. And it made me think of the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. Because it talks about the love of the shepherd for the sheep. That's Jesus, right? It talks about the shepherd's commitment to the protection of his sheep. So let me read that for you. John chapter 10, starting at verse 11 through 15. Jesus said, this is Jesus, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who has a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not, is not an owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, those found and those who are lost. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for us. Uh, right now I'm going to ask some folks to come up and help me. I'm going to have a little fun here. Can you all have fun? Can we have fun in God's house? Okay, there's a song that I wrote a long time ago. Um, back in youth group days, and uh, it's based on this, and I'm going to teach it to you real quick. I don't want to go too long, so I don't want my sermon to run over too long, right? Somebody say amen. Yeah, amen. Amen, that's right. <laughs> but this is, this is called uh, I Am the Good Shepherd, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to divide us into two sides, okay? This side is going to be singing with me and Tammy and Joseph, all right? Okay, so Joseph, come a little bit this way so they're not confused. And this side over here 
is going to sing with Teresa and Anna. Okay, but I'm about, I've got to teach you the song. Okay, and Nancy and Lee, you know this song, so obviously that's good. Help out, right? Okay, it goes like this. This is now the first part of the song, the verse, everybody sings it. So it goes like this I am the, David, you know this one. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. I know my own. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's everybody sings that together, right? Okay, let's, let's try that. Everybody sing that together. Ready? I am the good shepherd. I know my, everybody. My own know me, I know my own. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Got it? Got it? Okay. Then, this side, we split on the chorus, and this side sings this. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. My life for the sheep. Well, it's kind of Caribbean. It's kind of Caribbean. Well, who's the guy? Who's the guy? I can't think of his. Belafonte. Right, kind of Belafonte. Okay. All right. So that's your part when we get to the chorus. This is your part. Okay. I'm going to sing it with you, but but this is not your part. This is their part. Ready? La 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 lay lie, lay down my life. La 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 lay lie, lay down my life. La 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 lay 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 down my life and I lay down my life for the sheep. Try it again. Ba, ba, ba. La 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 lay 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 down my life. La 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 lay 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 down my life. La 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 lay 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 down my life and I lay down my life for the sheep. Okay, we're gonna put those two parts together. You ready? Tammy and I and Joseph. I am the good shepherd and you sing the la 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 lay lies. You ready? Are you ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. One, two, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my life again. I am the good shepherd. Oh, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for the sheep. In youth group, we had... Oh, okay, very good. We had a guy named, in our youth group, we had a guy named Eric Shepard. And so he would always sing, I am Eric Shepard. <laughs> right, Nance? Right? He did. He did. Okay, now we're going to try it from the beginning. Are you ready? We sing the first part together, then we what? Split. Okay, we're going to do it a couple times, then we've got an exciting ending for you. So just follow us. You ready? I wonder if you... Whoa. Whoa. Here we go. I am the good shepherd, I know my own, my own know me, I know my own. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Split! I am the good shepherd, I am the good shepherd, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life. Sing it again! I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Here we go again. I am the good shepherd. Let me hear you. My own, my own know me. I know my own. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Go. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, 
I lay down my life for the again. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Whoa, I am the good shepherd. Here we go. And I lay down my life for the lay my life down for the sheep. And I lay my life down for the lay my life down for the sheep. And I lay my life down for the sheep. Cha cha cha. All right. Here you go, Joseph. Thank you. I appreciate the enthusiasm. Let's do an album. That's right. Let's do an album. Let's take it on the road. Got to get a big bus, Jeffrey. Got to get a big bus. Well, thank you very much. I'm here all night. But let's get back to Luke, shall we? Let's get back to Luke. Verse 5 of Luke 15 says this. And when he, when he has found it, that is the lost what? The lost sheep. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. You ever seen that picture sometimes in Bible bookstores? Jesus carrying the sheep. He lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. So the lost sheep is safe and found. The lost sheep is safe and sound. And the shepherd is happy, right? What's the shepherd doing? Rejoicing. He's rejoicing. Verse 6 takes it a step further. Others are included in the rejoicing, right? Others are included. It says this. It says, when he came home, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. This is the cause for rejoicing. And then in verse 7, Jesus brings the point home, and he takes us from this pasture in the parable, to the heavenly realms, okay, and reveals how God feels about lost people who are found and come to repentance and come home to him. He reveals how God feels about that. Not only does God rejoice, okay, but all of heaven rejoices when one sinner, one sinner, one sinner repents and trusts in him. Listen for that in verse 7. says, I tell you that in the same way, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need repentance. Lost people matter to God. That's the message here, right? So it makes me wonder sometimes. I'm wondering what was happening in heaven when John Blake became a Christian, Right? What was happening in heaven when I repented and came to Christ to follow him? Because I was lost. I'm not kidding. I was lost. I mean, my creed at 18 years old was wine, women, and song. Right? I was lost. But I remember how excited the Christian students were at Winter Park High School when they found out that John Blake had become a Christian. Okay? They were in shock. They were in shock and disbelief. They just they couldn't believe it. Jeff Hoy, who later became one of my best friends, okay, he actually preached, Kenny might even remember this, I know Lee and Nancy do, at my ordination service in 1987 at New Life Presbyterian Church. Um, Jeff, this person that, that I'm talking about, he preached at my ordination service and we were, we were best friends. But in December of 1974, when Jeff got word that I had become a Christian, you know what his reaction was? <laughs> yeah, right. Seriously, that tells you a little bit about how lost I was, right? 
He says, well, that won't last long. He says, maybe a couple of weeks. Because Jeff was a Christian. He was a very committed Christian. And he was right. It lasted a couple weeks, plus another 2,520 weeks. 48 years, six months, and two weeks, give or take a week. That's a long time, y'all. I've been a Christian for a long time. But I understand his reaction because I was lost. I was lost. I was a wild child. Okay, my soul, my soul ambition was to be a rock star. Like Paul McCartney, Eric Clapton, or Jimmy Page, the guitar player for Led Zeppelin. Or my favorite guitar player of all time, Terry Kath. I don't know if you remember Terry Kath, very unestimated. He was the guitar player in the band Chicago. And all those guys were my idols, okay? They were my gods. They were my idols, okay? But while Jeff was in disbelief about me becoming a Christian, heaven was going nuts, right? Heaven was going crazy with joy. Why? Well, because John Blake was lost, and now he's found. John Blake was blind, but now he sees. Now he sees. Heaven rejoices when one sinner, me, you, comes to faith in Christ. It's important to know. It's important to know. The next parable, the parable of the lost coin, communicates that same message in a very similar way. Lost people matter to God, and he wants them to be found and brought into his kingdom, reconciled to him. That's what he wants. But this time it's not sheep. In this parable, it's the lost coin, a silver coin. Cha-ching, right? Silver coin. But the result is the same. There's great rejoicing when the coin is found. Then Jesus brings the point home once again, that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner, one sinner, just one, who repents and trusts in God. That's just one. Just imagine how many. Okay, listen to verses 8 9 and 10. It says, Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Sounds like me and my cell phone. Do you have that problem? i got to find that cell phone, right? But with her, it's coin, right? So when she has found it, she calls together all her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, Jesus backs out of the parable, He's telling us commentary in the same way. Jesus tells us there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner. One sinner who repents. Just one sinner who repents. Did you hear it? Lost people matter to God. Lost people matter to God. And listen, because this is important. This is the other side of the coin, pun intended, right? The other side of the coin is the Lord wants us to love lost people. He wants us to care about lost people like he does. Like he does. See them through his eyes and rejoice with him. And that is seen nowhere clearer than in the third parable in chapter 15. The parable of the lost son, which is also known as the what? The prodigal son. Prodigal means reckless. Okay, In this usage, means reckless. The reckless son. Right? The, the prodigal son with his reckless uh, living and loose living. Uh, when I was in my early 20s, some of y'all may not know this, most of you do, but I was involved in the Christian music scene. I was an artist and traveled around 
I was on Heartland Records, and there was a Christian rock band named by the name of Prodigal, one of my, fam my favorite Christian rock bands. It was also on Heartland Records, and we did some concerts together. I usually led off for them because it was just me and my guitar and a piano, and, and they were like, da, 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 da. it was a rock band, you know, so I always went first. But we actually did a concert here in Leesburg around 1983 or 84, just about eight miles from here. It was an outdoor evangelistic concert on top of two semi-tractor trailers, right? In a parking lot in, in what is now known as the Office Depot parking lot. Everybody know where Office Depot is? It was right there on top of those flatbed trailers. And uh, Randy Gideon actually organized it in Wildwood Assembly of God. It was an outreach, um, but right there, um, right there in the J.M. Fields uh, parking lot. Was it J.M. Fields, Lee? Is that what it is? It was. Okay, he said, I'm verifying that. It was J.M. Fields. The, the Kmart was where Rural King is now, right? Okay, okay. Just, I'm getting old. Just checking. Just checking. But I bring that up because the name of the band was Prodigal, and we know what Prodigal means, okay? And this was an evangelistic concert. Randy was always out on the edge, always wanting to reach lost people. Had a great fervor for that. And so we were there to hopefully... Okay, help some lost people get found. And I remember, actually, people did. People that night, right there in that parking lot, prayed to receive Christ. And you know what was going on in heaven? Woo, woo. Yeah. Well, Jesus starts out this third parable by saying this. He said, a man had two sons. Let me tell you a few things about the son. For your information, one of them was younger, one of them was older, one of them was faithful, and one of them was reckless. The younger son was the reckless son, the prodigal son, the selfish son, the lost son, who was so wrapped up in himself, he didn't care about anybody else, didn't think about anybody else, just what he wanted. So listen for that in verses 11, 12, and 13. Jesus telling the parable. A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of the estate that falls to me, his inheritance. So he divided his wealth, the father did, between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant land. And there he squandered his estate in loose living. Okay, a few things. First, the younger son, by doing this, is literally insulting the father. Now, when we hear it now, we don't think that. But back then, he's insulting the father. All right? He's treating him like he's dead. He's saying, I don't want to wait until you die to get my inheritance. I want it now. So he's treating him like he's dead. And the father does that. He divides his wealth and gives him his share. Then the son takes it to the next step of treating his dad like he's dead. He says, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I don't care about you. You're dead to me basically what he's saying. I don't want to be around you anymore. I'm going to take the money and run, right? And he goes and does all the wrong things that his father probably raised him not to do, okay? Reckless spending and reckless living, reckless living. And before we get too far into the parable, it's important that you know that the father in this parable is symbolic of God. The sons are symbolic of people. The youngest son is an Who's Jesus talking to in this parable, right? The scribes and the Pharisees. So the youngest son is symbolic of the tax collectors and the sinners. And the older son is symbolic of the scribes and the Pharisees, which is who Jesus is talking to. So that's important that we understand that before we get too deep into the parable. 
This next section, the son is impoverished. He's beginning to experience the consequences of his actions, his reckless living, okay, his reckless spending, and his loose living. He's starving at this point. Um, if any of you all have ever been involved with AA, they talk about hitting what? Bottom. Yeah, you got to hit bottom before you're ready to make change. My dad, both my parents were in AA, right? You got to hit bottom. And so he's hit rock bottom by some tough life lessons. He becomes impoverished, no money, no friends, no family, no food, just bad times and getting worse by the day. So listen for that in verses 14 through 16. It says, now when he had spent everything, he's broke, right? When he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country and he began to be impoverished. He was broke. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. So we know he's not in Israel. So that's also symbolic in this story, in this parable, is that he leaves his father, but he also leaves Israel, which means he leaves God. That's symbolic. He's feeding swine. He's in the Gentile territory. So he's left God's promised land. Verse 16, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. He had nothing. He was broke. He was impoverished. And no one was giving him anything. All the friends he had when he had a bunch of money and partying and prostitutes and all this, where are they? Nowhere. They're not going to help him. Why? He doesn't have any money. Right? But things are about to get better. I want you to know that. Things are about to get joyful. Things are about to get good. The light is about to come on. Okay, he's about to come to his senses and be a repentant son. Debbie mentioned repentance in her prayer this morning. The repentant son. With a change of heart, a change of mind, and a change of direction. He realizes something. He realizes what I'm doing is not working so good, right? It's not working. So I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back to God. I'm going to go back to my father, confess my sins, and change my ways. That's repentance. That's repentance in so many terms. Listen to verses 17 through 21. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. In other words, rock bottom, right? I've hit bottom. I will get up and make a change. Do something different, right? I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. That's repentance. He's not making excuses for what he did. He's just confessing, right? So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, okay, his father saw him. You know, with me, with my kids, you can recognize their walk, can't you? You can. From a long distance, you can tell who they are. So he does. His father sees him coming from a long way off, and it says that he felt compassion. That's key, because we need to feel compassion for people who are lost. He felt compassion for him and ran, embraced him, and kissed him. you got to understand, when the Pharisees are listening to this parable, they're like, no way. Because when you're, when you're a person like him, you have property, you have resources, you're established, you don't run anywhere. You walk very proudly, 
right? That's what you do. You walk, okay? But because of his love for his lost son, because of his compassion, all that goes out the window. You gotta understand. He runs. He runs. I don't know how old the guy was, but I have trouble running sometimes, right? He ran. He embraced him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, repentance, right? Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's repentance. I deserve nothing. I messed up. I was wrong. I don't deserve anything from you. That's true repentance. But the father said to his slaves, and I'm sure the Pharisees and the scribes were just wagging their heads at this part too. (laughs) He says, quickly, bring out the best robe. They're like, what? No, not the best robe. Not for this worm, right? Bring out the best robe. Put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf. Those of you that like barbecue know that brisket, the best brisket, is with a lot of the fat on it, right? Right? So that's it. This is the tastiest calf. This is the best calf they've been waiting for to celebrate. So bring out the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again, right? He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. What happens next is this. Forgiveness is given and received. Grace is given and received. Relationship is reconciled, and there is great rejoicing. They throw a huge party with the fattened calf. Party on, dude, right? Party on. It's a big party. Listen to verse 22 through 24. But the father said to the slaves, oh, I already went through that, didn't I? I already covered that. Bring out the ring. Bring out the, do the celebrating. So there's great rejoicing, okay? And those five verses, verse 17 through 24, give us a picture of the grace and the mercy of God. The grace and the mercy of God. Let me give you a definition, quick, simple definition for mercy, is not getting something bad that you do deserve, right? Not getting a punishment that you should get, but you don't get it. That's mercy. Grace is getting something good that you don't deserve. For some reason, you're being rewarded. You're given something really well, really good, really nice, that you do not deserve. Listen, that's what the Father does for the lost son. That's what the Father does for the lost son. That's what God does for us when we repent and turn and come home to him. It's repentance. This parable is a picture of that grace and mercy that God extends to us and lost people. The last part of this parable is about the brother of the reckless son, the righteous one, the faithful one. Okay? It's about him and his hurt feelings and misunderstanding. You remember he represents who? The scribes and the Pharisees, right? He's upset with the father because of his response to the lost son because it doesn't seem fair, does it? It doesn't seem fair. He's thinking, okay, what he's thinking is he he doesn't deserve grace. He deserves nothing. He deserves nothing. He doesn't deserve mercy. He deserves condemnation and punishment for the terrible things he's done to you, Father, and to our family. That's what he deserves. That's where the brother 
is coming from. And that's where the scribes and the Pharisees are coming from, right? That's why they don't want Jesus spending time with them. So listen to verses 25 through 30. It says, now his older brother was in the field. He's the faithful one, right? He's out there working. And when he came in, he approached the house and he heard music and dancing. Party on. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring, what things could this be? In other words, what in the world is going on? Translation. And he said to him, your brother has come. In other words, he's home. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father, God, right, came out and began pleading with him. But the son answered him and said to his father, look, he's ticked, right? Look, for so many years I have been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet, and you, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. Not as much as a goat. But when this son of yours came who devoured your wealth with prostitutes, Devoured your wealth with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him? You killed the fattened calf for him? That's hard to relate to, isn't it? It's a little bit hard to relate to. The brother is angry. He's mad at his father. And a lot of people would say, with good reason. And I bet I guarantee you the scribes and the Pharisees are saying that. With good reason. It doesn't seem fair. But here's the point. The father in this parable is symbolic of God. And Jesus is teaching us something. This is it. That's what God is like. That's not what you are like. That's not what this person. That's what God is like. That's what God does. That's what God does. That's how God feels about lost people who repent and come home to him. That's what God is like. The father is symbolic of God. The older brother is symbolic of the scribes and the Pharisees. That's who the brother is. And that's who Jesus is talking to. And he's also maybe talking to us. Maybe talking to us. So the big picture, the main point, is revealed in the last two verses. Father to son, you are mine and all that is mine is yours. But we must rejoice because your brother was dead. Now he is alive. He was lost. He was lost, completely lost. But now he's found. Listen to the last two verses. It's beautiful. And he said to him, son, this is the older son, son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost, and now he has been found. So in closing, the main message here is that lost people matter to who? God. Lost people matter to God. And they should matter to us. God wants lost people to matter to us. God loves sinners. Jesus loves sinners, hung with sinners. Those that smoke, chew, and all that stuff, right? He hung with them. We should also rejoice with God and all the angels of heaven when one sinner, when one sinner repents and comes home to the Lord. 
You see, I was, I was one of those sinners. I was one of those sinners. I was lost. So lost. But I was found by the Lord. He pulled me in. I was blind. Totally blind. I, I used to make fun of Christians. But now I see. So where are you all? Where are you in all this? Are you sitting out there? Are you lost right now? Are you found? Are you one of the tax collectors? Are you in that category? Are you one of the Pharisees? Where are you? Jesus wants us to know that lost people matter to God. And they should matter to us. Our mission statement says, love God, love each other, and love people who what? Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you uh, for loving us. That you love us. And we know you. And you know us. And we are your own. You are the good shepherd. But Lord, you also don't want us to be in the category of those scribes and those Pharisees. You don't want us to be in that category. You want us to be in your category. You want us to love lost people like you love lost people. You want us to care about lost people like you care about lost people. You want us to show compassion on people that have messed up. So I pray that you would guide us, that you would lead us in this quest. Lord Jesus, help us to be like you. Help us to listen. We have ears to hear. Let us hear. And give us courage to act and to live it. We pray in your name, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.